The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi, folks. Welcome back to part two of our discussion of the Ravens offense against the Tampa Bay Bucks on uh, the Thursday night football game we all love to hate. Need to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will murder your thirst. We love it now that they won. We hate it <laughs> as analysts because it's a late night of football. It's a who whoever likes to play Thursday night on the road, Jim. Um, nobody. Uh, and particularly last year after the Dolphins game, I was absolutely ready for the uh, for the institution to be abolished. <laughs> I, I, it's interesting to me that John Harbaugh wanted to get a regular Thursday game on Thanksgiving after two happened in Baltimore. Of course, everybody would want that <laughs> at <laughs> and, home. Yes, yeah, and at home, and we would we would gladly sacrifice our analyst time to, to go deep into the night. And that's what it, it ends up meaning for, for Maureen and me is that we we're, we're up most of the night doing defensive notes and whatnot. Uh, if there's a night game, uh, but that's, that's a, it's a sacrifice. It's well worth making if you're getting home Thursday games, road Thursday games. When I do that article on the schedule at the beginning of the year, 
I just, it just tightens my grind your teeth that much. Yeah, yeah. That, they, that they keep getting road Thursday games and when it's their turn to get a home Thursday game, it doesn't seem like they always get one, but when they do, it's a uh, it's a non-divisional game and they end up with a bunch mm-hmm. of divisional, you know, Thursday night games. So at least this one was an NFC game on a Thursday night. So that's a, a little bit more palatable in terms of when you're going to play if you have to play on the road. Hey, it just occurred to me, are our divisional, I'm sorry, are Thursday night games usually interconference? No, I mean, they can be, they cannot be, they have to, since they have to have every team play at least once on Thursday, they have to kind of work it. So they have to fit, yeah. play a fair number of divisional games to, to make that happen. Right. So, and, and, you know, some teams, if you're, if it's Jacksonville and I don't know, Houston, you might as well get them both <laughs> out of the way at once. Maybe in an early season matchup, maybe on a holiday weekend sometime when when the listenership's <laughs> going to be down, whatever. So anyway, Jim, I didn't introduce you properly. Uh, Jim Zipko joining me here uh, at Zip Jim on Twitter. Uh, Want to make sure we get in a plug for your article too occurs on. on oh, RSR yeah. Wonder. Yeah. So uh, so the uh, RSR has been very kind to host a, a column that I've been writing. Uh, this is the, my second season doing it. It usually comes out on uh, Tuesdays or actually usually comes out on Wednesdays. I'm, I'm late finishing it. And it's a review of how the Ravens pass catchers have done uh, each week. Uh, so that's uh, that's going to be on the RSR front page, usually on Wednesdays. All right. Outstanding. Other folks. Uh, Ken, you should seriously ding me for my lack of professionalism there. I didn't plug it at all in the last episode. And so somebody should uh, you, I, I you need know, to take some lessons for you. Well, the fr- first thing to do is you reminded people properly that they've got to go back and download the last episode because there's a lot of really good stuff <laughs> we talked about in this in this first episode. A lot of the getting back to 2019, a lot of this team finding its identity again. We promised not to just be harping on this, but to see another, a team run over that Tampa Bay defense the way they did in that second half with take out the Neals now because they, they don't they really don't count at 24 rushers for 213 yards and they only got stopped one time on any series in the second half after in the first half they got stopped on four consecutive series after Andrews reception started the game first yeah. play of the game Andrews reception then four straight three and outs effectively uh, yeah. on series after that so really nice turnaround in that second half. I, you know, uh, do you remember Earl Weaver's comment always was that you're never as good as you look when you're playing well. You're never as bad as you look when you're playing bad. Uh, I think that it is useful to remember that the first seven games of this season, every Ravens opponent was somebody who's in the top dozen or so of football outsiders DVOA for mm-hmm. their you know team efficiency scores. Uh, and even the Tampa was in the top half. I think they were number 16 and uh, the next several opponents are nowhere near that, you know? So we played 500 ball against good teams and uh, it should be expected that the Ravens should start to roll in this soft underbelly portion of the schedule that really started Thursday night and Thursday night on the road is a very tough situation anyway so i'm okay with them struggling a little bit before getting rolling but we should expect them to roll these next few weeks i think Uh, it's that's a big win like any road win is it's a big win but yes it's a win on a short week against a pretty good team yes on a on a thursday night is a hell of a win and that it just there's got it got to be thrilled with it well, you know, uh, I mean, you you want to get stuff rolling, but people, but you know, it's it's so easy after the incredible success of 2019. It's still sending aftershocks to us three years later, right? You you expect 
a team to roll and you're disappointed when they don't and you can forget how hard it is to get the role started, you know, mm-hmm. to kick it over, to to get the first big play and the second big play and the first big win. You know, it's it it takes a lot to get all the pieces together to get the rolling started. And this is the kind of win maybe that it takes. This first this is our first winning streak of the year. Yes. I mean that's a very valid point. Uh they've they've uh you know played an even number of home and road games, but for the for the rest of the season they're going to be one more on the road than at home still, because this is an NFC year to have the extra game mm-hmm. at home. Yeah. So uh, what I do like is the, the, if you look at the record, it's two and five, two and five, two and five, two and five. They're going to, yes. you know, one or two, three and four teams. And only the Bengals have a winning record of their remaining opponents for this season. So you could this, not ask for it to be any more well up. teed up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and if they find a way to mess it up this year with some of the things now going right about injuries, by the way, just go back to the first episode and we'll, 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 you'll have all the injury information. We don't need to repeat all that here, but uh, they're in, they're in, I hope a pretty good situation in terms of, of yes. returning from injury. They are uh football outsiders has them 80% to go to the playoffs. Uh, I think 46% of the time is either the number three or number two seed in the AFC today uh so so that's a good situation to start and i think that's of a, as of week seven because i don't think they put up any week eight information Correct. yet you're, i'm sorry yeah. you're right i should not have said today right i should have said as of wednesday so um should we get to the offensive line scoring yeah absolutely absolutely All right so you usually go left to right across the line right so do we start with stanley absolutely let's do that so uh ronnie's still not playing every snap which is, you know, I, 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 it, it worries me whenever he's not in there. But, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, they're being very careful with it. And I, I maybe they're going to wait until after the even the New Orleans game to to get him back in there the, all the time. We, we're going to get to it. But McCary had a really good game in relief here, so uh, that was nice to see. And it's, it's, you know, the rotational play can continue as long as your third guy is not terrible, right? Uh, so, so that's a that's a good place to start. McCarry certainly was was far from terrible in terms of this game, uh, but Stanley had 58 plays, 49 blocks, five missed, uh, half a penetration, two and a half pressures, and uh, you know, two and a half pressures is not terrible. What I really saw in this game more than other things is that he was having a lot of trouble engaging with Joe Tryon and his drove. Joe Tryon Schwinka or something. He's, I, I he's, he's hyphenated it with something this yeah. year. Yeah. So so you know the, the, it's the Washington pass rusher. Uh, he is a uh, a guy's extremely long, and uh, Stanley was dancing a little bit with him rather than trying to engage and punch, which could be dangerous because he certainly has that you know apparent length and strength. Uh, he actually did a pretty good job of mirroring him, but some of the things Stanley does to mirror a guy out of a run play were not really working against uh, a, a Joe Tryon. So he was he was not engaging with him in a way that was useful on those plays. Uh, he, sometimes he can make that work. Stanley is you know is a, is a pretty good salesman at the line of scrimmage. In addition to being quick enough to make lots of blocks on the backside of a run play, he's good about getting the getting the edge defender to run himself out of the play with his own movement. So he'll kill like. Mm-hmm turn back you know 45 degrees to make it look like a pass set that he's trying to get into when it's actually a run play and and he's that's his way of trying to get that guy out of that run play but it also has to come with a with a with a engagement on that play that he at least hits the guy at least so he doesn't just run right by him just try him very quick uh look like he has a devastating spin move by the way i don't know if you were watching him at all but several times he put that on stanley uh in, in terms of trying to get by him 
So no sacks allowed. No sacks. Had had uh, three pancakes, six to six on poles. Two of those were courtesy points on the backside of a of a uh, uh, as a trailer, I should say, on a counter play. So the yeah, guy okay. in front of him has to find somebody. He doesn't. He just has to not mess anything up. If he if he has a block, he has to make it. If he if he does not have a block, he scores anyway because there 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 are there's frequently no no block for him to make. But he has to get out oh, of that hole. So you you call it struck. a courtesy point because you can't ding him for that because it's a situation where it's not like he failed to do something that he's supposed to do. It was just teed key, key, up for him in such a way that there wasn't a lot of work for him. That's that's right. So so it can be it can be very hard to find work. And as long as he gets through the hole, doesn't obstruct the play, doesn't trip, yeah. doesn't doesn't get tripped, uh, he, he'll get his pulling point regardless if he uh, if he's the second. That man makes through. sense. So uh, the reason I wanted to ask you about Sachs specifically is because you talked about him, about Ronnie having a little more difficulty with Tryon uh, than he's had with some matchups. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to assess like how bad it was. So uh, he didn't, Tryon didn't, he was, Ronnie wasn't beaten for Sachs, but what was it that Ronnie like failed to do, would you say? Uh, Well, we can look at the very first play of the game. He was bullied by Tryon. So, mm. uh, so that was a that was the very first pressure he gave up, and then you look at it. It was the fourth drive, the one that they ended up third and thirty sixth on the next play. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they got a he had a half pressure allowed, and my notation for that is beaten by spin inside. So he was one okay. of two. That, yeah, that other half of that went to Moses on the other side, coincidentally. And then in the second half, he had a minus one on a run play. Um, he pushed 79, which I think was the guy who blocked the field goal. O'Connor, does that sound right? Anyway, sure. he, the, the uh, he he pushed him wide, but he allowed him to stay in the play and then get back in it. That was another case of, of non non engagement. And then the other one, he was he was on the last play of that drive, which was a 10 yard touchdown play to Likely. Uh, mm-hmm. He was bulled by uh, Tryon that flushed the pocket, so he got a pressure on that play. Obviously, not the most severe pressure when the Ravens get a touchdown on the play, anyway. But he didn't do his right. job, and you know, that's the way. So, it works. W- is this is this a step down since Ronnie has returned, or has this been about his level? You know, I I don't really like to get into that too much, and I will give him a grade for the game. It was a C. Um, it was his worst score since he's been back, which is, by the way, fantastic. But yeah. if this were in the normal course of a season, and a guy throws in an occasional C, as we've seen from Zeitler, for example, the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, I don't get worried about it all. Normal variation in play, gotcha. you know, it, it's it's just it, there's there's just a fair amount of variation in play, variation in opponent. This was not a big high um, adjustment week for him because he wasn't playing mm-hmm. a real top tier pass rusher. I, I I didn't, you know, I, I don't have a lot of complaints about what he did, but a lot of the game in terms of of how they're running zone and whatnot just didn't give him the same kind of opportunities uh, to make a contribution on the backside of some run plays as well. So. It just a handful of things can can conspire to bring him down a little bit. But he wasn't penalized, and you know, two and a half pressures is generally pretty good for a left tackle. Uh, you're gonna yeah. get, you're probably get a B Especially in that with game. what thirty eight or so dropbacks, more than that, I guess. Yeah, good point. Yeah, so it's uh, you know, he, he, it's I no no complaints at all. I mean, I I okay. probably would say I'd want a slightly higher level out of Ronnie Stanley for the rest of the season. But other than that, yeah. I'd say that that uh, you know, good game. Within the normal range of variance for a, for a yeah. player, yeah. and so you mentioned Makari in relief. Um, do you did Makari relieve only Stanley, or did he swap out on both sides? 
a little bit on both sides. So he had 13 on the left side replacing Stanley, three on the right side replacing Moses. That was the one that probably had me a little bit more worried when Moses is out of the game for three plays. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he he didn't do anything unusual in terms of making a level two block, no pancakes, no pulls, uh, nothing like that, no highlights. Uh, it was just made 16 out of 16 blocks, no, no failed blocks in that group. He's four points short of having a grade for the game, but he had had some kind of weak relief games, including one where he actually started the game and then he was relieved by Fa'olele where he got zero of six points. So it's nice to see him put, put up some points on the margin like this um, that are that are good. And frankly, the Ravens really need a third tackle who can provide a little something, just just plug the hole for a while. And and McCary hopefully is that guy. And if he's um, – uh, you know, if he, if he's not, the the Ravens are potentially always like have a sort of Damocles like kind of hanging over them, uh, in terms of is that, is that the right way to use that metaphor? I think but, it's Damocles, but yeah, I think it is exactly right. But I would say that they have several swords of Damocles hanging <laughs> over them. Uh, you know, Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. If either one yeah. of them has to miss significant time, if Stanley has to miss significant time. Uh, certainly the, the way the running back core has been cut down, you know, both last season and this season, Rashad Bateman. I mean, there's, there's plenty of swords <laughs> around yes. to be worried about. Yeah, that's, that's true. And you, I mean, you know, to be fair, no NFL team, uh, is, has depth at every single position. You can't afford it with the, with the way the salary cap works. And so when Mark Andrews goes down, you necessarily take a hit at that position and your right. depth has to come from other positions, not necessarily even on yeah. the offense. Your defense has to pick you up for a game. I talk sometimes about, so so the common thing to talk about with NFL rosters is depth. How deep is the roster? And I think one thing that is not commonly recognized, and I think the Ravens do this, is that they cultivate breadth in the roster, which is to say that, uh, well, kind of exactly what you're talking about. So if, if they're... Um, safety goes down maybe they've got a corner that they can slide over who can play safety and they've got a, another guy who can play slot corner who can come in and they kind of cover it that way not with depth but with other positions or if if um they are short at wide receivers but they've got a whole bunch of pass catching tight ends you know they've got ways to sort of slide the burden to mm-hmm. shift it over to other parts to other position groups in a way that's not depth you know it's more broad than wide yeah, so it, it, we've certainly seen that a lot on on this team. Safe, safeties play in corner, slot corner right. in particular, and and uh, uh, outside inside linebacker. We've seen some. We've certainly seen you know, and what who basically is an in, interior offensive lineman in McCarry playing tackle, and yeah. uh, doing it well enough to get by. And uh, you know, you just, you just there's there's certainly a lot of that. The, the, the whole tight ends that's like a revolution against the wide receiver position. They really don't want to pay wide receivers. They think it's stupid. And, you know, they're one of the teams that is with it in that regard, quote unquote. Uh, the Packers have not made it work. The Chiefs have yep. made it work. And the Ravens, I think we the Packers yet. haven't made it work this season, but they have right. made it work for years under under LaFleur. This is really the first season they've gotten bit by by not signing anybody for Aaron Rodgers. I have often thought that in the in the current market of the NFL, where uh borderline wide receivers are commanding huge amounts of money that the Greg Roman offense is tailor-made for a contrarian investor to compete in today's NFL. 
Well put, exactly, exactly correct. And I think that's the way the Ravens view it. I think they view it as, you know, we need to find ways to beat the cap. Yeah. I, I, my big, my big one, and it has been for years, has been the platooning and inside linebacker. Do that, mm-hmm. you'll save yourself an unbelievable amount of money on the cap. Right. Because uh, if you, it's much cheaper to have three guys, you know, put together to play the position than it is to have one star. And, you know, I, I'm glad that Patrick Queen is, is finally playing well. Uh, yeah, for most of the last six games, didn't have a great game here, but 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 you know played well basically for most of the last six games, and and uh, and has seemingly you know brought back into question whether or not the Ravens will pick up his fifth year option, which is mm-hmm. amazing, frankly, based on 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 where he were. But it's you know playing really good football. Um, but but generally speaking, I'm I'm much more in favor of you get three guys to play that spot. I don't want to play one guy fifteen million and then be worried about him, and you can't replace him if he gets hurt. Um, but mm-hmm. you could, if you have three guys and one of them is your LJ Fort pass defender and one of them is your Josh Bynes two down run defender and one right. of them is a dime defender that you want to bring in on those downs, it, those situations work all the time. And, and yeah, uh, but it's unusual to see teams do it on offense. And here are the Ravens getting production out of uh, run blocking tight ends and fullbacks mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and second and third and fourth running backs, you know, and finding a way to move the ball. And I don't know to what extent. This is all dependent on the miraculous talents of of one Lamar Jackson, Lamar, yeah. but uh, but there's reason to suspect that it's systemic, right? Because Roman has done similar things with uh, Alex Smith, with Colin Kaepernick, with Tyrod Taylor. Uh, you know, if if you, God forbid me, I'm talking in a direction that would lead you to indicate that I'm willing to let Lamar walk rather than sign him. You know, because I'm because I'm saying something that could be interpreted as talking about the fungibility of quarterbacks and whatnot. And I'm not I don't for one second think that Lamar Jackson is fungible or or not a ridiculous generational talent. But just the system of offense and the contrarian investment and, you know, stealing money against the cap and, and finding finding value from from finding production from devalued positions in the marketplace is a uh, is one potentially very smart way to go about business in today's NFL. Right. I, I think I think the Ravens realize that even with regard to Lamar and and the way I would say is that they have gotten a lot more value out of Lamar in terms of how he improves the players around him. And mm-hmm. we saw that in Spades in 2019. And obviously we're not yes. we're not we're not going back to 2019 in terms of the cap to value. Your representation. No. They, they dismantle a lot of that offense uh, that, that was there together and a lot of the 18 draft and, uh, you know, Orlando Brown, you know, obviously had to go and Hayden Hurst had to go and, uh, uh, you know, they, they weren't able to sign anybody about Bradley Bozeman. Uh, but, but, the, but the fact of the matter was they had a historic offense in terms of points per drive at fifth all time, even more historic in terms of points per drive relative to cap. Right, right. And I don't know if it was number one all time, but it was certainly very close to the greatest offense in, in, of all time. And if you look at the players involved, it wasn't uh, – there's just not any way I can assign much of it to anybody but Lamar Jackson. I Correct. understand that he's a good player. Yonda, a good player. Having Brown as a rookie was good. The second-year player, I guess, then. But, but uh, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson drove that bus. Right. Mark Andrews did not become the he wasn't the all pro tight end back then. He was a what a rookie or second year player uh, that year. Like he wasn't he had not developed into into what he is now. The only player. So other than Lamar, the the I would say that um, uh, Mark Ingram 
had a historic year in terms of receiving value for a running back. Uh, that's off of DVOA. I think he was like the second highest all time receiving, uh, receiving running back in terms of in receiving DVOA. Yes, that year. Wow, England. I'm surprised by that. Yeah, it, is it, it, it like one of their DR categories? I'm is, sorry, counting stat DR is D D Y A R is what I meant. Okay, DR. Yeah, I'm 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 still surprised by that. Honestly, it's uh. Yeah. Okay. I, I. I mean, he didn't. He didn't have that many total receptions. I didn't think on the year that year. I, I look. I look it up right now. Okay. Yeah. You caught twenty six out of twenty nine balls for two hundred forty seven. That's terrific. You know. That's that's up there at eight point five yards per target. That is a terrific number for running back. I, ca- I guess I kind of forgotten that. Uh, he had yeah. A thousand well, I think it was very much under the radar. Uh, so, but I mean, that's that doesn't put that doesn't make him all pro. I mean, Lamar drove that team, but but there that was maybe the only disproportionate contribution from any position on that offense that was not Lamar. I would say. Okay, very skill position p- player anyway. Yeah, and they, and, they, and they did have they had a lot of guys, Sneed and Boykin and whatnot. Are just you know they're not outstanding receivers or anything. They wouldn't be any in anybody's top ten. But they did mm-hmm. a lot of things well within the within that offense, and they still had the ability to go deep when they wanted to to, to Hollywood and to others, but to Hollywood primarily. Right. And, uh, yeah. It was, a, it, was a, it was a fun year. So uh, I wanted to ask you one more question about Makari before we move maybe to the to interior guys, uh, and and this is an off the wall question, but my best my, my first X's and O's background in sports is actually from basketball. Mm-hmm. And in basketball, you rotate your five and you find a way for them to maintain some continuity together. And they're used to playing together. You have combinations on the court that can work together while you're still giving guys a blow. And so it always seemed to me that it ought to make sense to do some rotation with offensive linemen. But uh, I've heard various people and certainly football coaches behave as though that is a re- preposterous idea and you want to keep your, your best five out there at all times. But now here we have a situation these past weeks where Makari has been rotating in with Stanley and Moses and the Ravens seem to have embraced some form of rotation either to keep guys below snap limits, uh, maybe maybe have them fresh for the, for the, for the stretch run. Uh, what do you, I mean, what do you think of that? Is, 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 is that being done for that reason to kind of preserve guys or, and is there any real detriment to it? Uh, how do you, how, what do you think of that as an approach? I think they're going to stop it as soon as they yeah. really can afford to. Um, if, if they were going to keep McCary in for a few snaps per game, I mean, he could, he could still replace Moses. He could still come in at the end of the game for Stanley, but mm-hmm. I, you know, he's also the Ravens, James Worthy. He's their sixth man. And and they mm-hmm. have to have him available wherever they need him if they have an injury. Mm-hmm. So playing him at tackle can be a mistake in that sense too. I mean, I, in some sense, I'd almost rather see Fa'alele getting a garbage, a true garbage time opportunity. True. Yeah. Than um than, than having McCary out there. And if they want to do a little bit of rotation at guard, I'm fine with that. I wouldn't mind if they if they brought in Cleveland for some snaps. I mean, think about mm-hmm. a game like this where you're able to bring in Ben Cleveland. And he wasn't active for the game, by the way. But if they if they had brought in Ben Cleveland for the second half of this game, or not even the second half, but every other drive in the second half, it wasn't like Ben Powers had a bad game by any stretch. But Ben Cleveland, like tiring these guys out and leaning on oh, yeah. them for you know eight plays at a time, oh, yeah. that would have been pretty cool. Yeah, that's true. Maybe we'll start to see him. You know, we we saw a lot of garbage time in 2019 where Lamar would sit for the second halves of fourth quarters. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting to see 
some of the young offensive line prospects like Cleveland and Fa'alele get some run in the fourth quarter of games that are blowouts. If, if you know, if we're lucky to have any enough to have blowouts. Yeah, it's it's uh, be an interesting thing. It, 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 it'll be an interesting thing. Period to see how they deal with a with a one for one replacement when that thing truly comes up. Because <laughs> if that replacement's necessary at guard, wouldn't really surprise me if Cleveland is just the guy. Even though McCary might be the guy they think has the best chance to be good at the position, wouldn't surprise me if they just went to Cleveland anyway. Because then you right because they need McCary at center and tackle. Yeah. So you mentioned Powers. Do, do you want to? Do you have his stats for sure? His scoring for the game. Uh, you know, continued a solid run in this game. Uh, he, he didn't have the flashy kind of a run blocking game that you're going to have. But if you're going to have a good game, you want to have a good pass blocking game. If you're going to be good mm-hmm. on one side or the other, half a sack allowed. That was. It was. I, I went back and forth a little bit on this in terms of of whether I thought one of them might have been two thirds responsible. But in the end, the, the nice thing about being able to award partial sacks is that you don't have to give it all to one player. And and each of them, Vita Vea beat Linderbaum left, and then he beat Powers as well. And I gave it to half of them. I gave it half yeah. to each. Uh, the, 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 the pressure uh, was a was a split as well. I don't have who so you're talking. So you're talking about that play. It was I think it was a sack for 12 yards where Vita yep. Vea just burst up the middle. So he beat Linderbaum first, mm-hmm. and Bozeman came off a block and was kind of teed up to take Vita Vea. And then they beat him also, right? Yeah. So you're saying that that's that's why you're awarding it to both of them because they was kind of they they were beat separately, sort of. Right, they beat each had separately and at different depth, which is important. So if 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 yeah. he had been like right next to him, there wouldn't have been any question about it. It probably would have been a, a shared sack. But because they're at different depth, it makes it a little more a question. This wasn't like a some sort of standardized handoff play where he's supposed no. to hand it off. I, I, it could have been the powers was a little late getting there. So that's where, you know, the, do you give two thirds to one or not? I, I, I don't think it's worth that. I think it's worth it. It's a, it's they a were half. both beat so bad that yes. I think you would have some justification for giving yeah. each of them a full sack on that, even though Vita Vey only got one. That's, you know, that's, that's, there's something to be said for that. But one of the things I like about my system relative to PFF and some other things that I, is I don't award uh, two pressures if there's only one pressure on the play. I don't no, award two sacks if there's no one sack on the plate. So I split it up. Although as- here, here it would be tempting to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get through a few more, more of his thing. He had another half pressure avoided for his only negative points. So that's good. Three missed blocks. Two of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. Six out of seven on poles, two level two blocks, uh, one highlight, no pancakes. Uh, he'd been, he'd been really piling up the pancakes this year, by the way. Uh, Powers has been doing a good job of that. This wasn't his most impressive run game by any, any stretch from that perspective. He didn't have a lot of the great, Push plays. Of course, they're doing a lot of zone blocking. They're not getting him up to level two as often in this game. With as you can see from the two level two blocks, um, and so uh, B plus overall for the game. I think uh, you know how that's largely weighted is because he did so well as a pass blocker, um, and uh, and you know just he's, he's on a very solid run right now of, of the Ravens linemen. You can make the argument he's been the Ravens' most consistent throughout the entire season. Zeitler and he are, are pretty close in terms of, of what each has done. Moses has had a little more variation in his play. Stanley's only been there for four games. Linderbaum's had some significant variation in, in terms of his play, but he had a pretty good game this week. Uh, and and that, uh, you know, that powers is, you could argue, the guy who nobody wanted this, yeah. uh, this offseason. I was exactly what I was going to say. So many Ravens fans are willing to wash their hands of this guy this past offseason, and here he comes and becomes their most solid blocker. That's that's really that's really impressive. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's been a, been a good year for him. He's going to he's going to get paid somewhere next year. And when I say that, you know, he might end up the, going the Brad, ending up the Bradley Bozeman route that that nobody wants him that much. He ends up signing somewhere for one year, three million kind of deal. But I think there's a pretty good chance he ends up getting, you know, four years, 24 million somewhere uh, if uh, if he can keep this up for the rest of the year, because he's looked. So really this good. is this is his walk year. Yeah. Oh, Fourth man. year. Yeah, so the Ravens hopefully get a comp pick out of it. Frankly, I mean, if if he lights it up the rest of the year, the Ravens have no complaints. There's yeah. nothing to complain about. It's it's uh, they, if they lose him, they lose him. He seems to be the kind of player that they won't be able to retain, and they might not want to because they have Cleveland there, and they need to figure out where they can save money. So you know, when you're figuring out Marcus Peters, Ben Powers, Marcus Peters, you know, you're probably right. gonna keep, you're probably going to keep Marcus Peters. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, it's just, uh, it's regrettable. Uh, to, uh, I'm always annoyed when an offensive lineman only performs well his last year. Here, <laughs> it's the, I guess it's Ryan Jensen all over again. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the Ravens typically get their offensive linemen or get their get their players. Period on defense in particular opportunities earlier in their career, mm-hmm. and and Powers uh, did get a little bit of play earlier on in his career he just he he he, he wasn't good he, he, well, he, he improved as as time went on i thought he's actually pretty good last year everybody else beat the oh. crap out of him and that's why they wanted him gone but but uh you know that's not the way i scored it so and then to see him okay. this year playing well is really nice so yeah it is uh how did linder so let's talk about linderbaum's game what did you see from him yeah. so g- generally speaking pretty good uh he did give up half a sack and and 1.5 pressures uh that was all vea beating him so one of the things about this game is I make an adjustment based on the opponent for each individual yeah. player that they that they primarily faced, in addition to all the other things that the system might not be picking up. So if if he if Lindenbaum had a real bad snap that went over the quarterback's head, I'd probably take his whole whole adjustment away for that. Mm-hmm. If if he had if he you know does some other things that are that are stupid, uh, maybe uh, I'll I'll take away adjustment points for that. But in this game, it was a nice positive adjustment. His snaps were good. I did have five missed blocks. They were all losses at the line of scrimmage, which is that's that's not ideal. Uh, a missed block on a pull uh, is is a lot of times not as severe as missing yeah. somebody at the line of scrimmage when it often will mean somebody's in the backfield or it might have been a pressure if the ball had been a little longer getting out and whatnot. Uh, it was two of two on pulls. He made four blocks in level two. Had two highlights. Uh, a B game overall, and a lot of that is for, he had about a point eighty before adjustment and then a 0.07.08 either whichever it was for Vea, which is the most I ever give away is 0.10. Okay. So so a, that's a very high adjustment for an interior player in particular. And that got him into the B range with uh with that. Center is a, a tougher grading standard. So you might think of an 80 in a math class somewhere as being a, a B typically, but uh but uh not here. It's at center you gotta you gotta be at least an 86 to get a B minus. Okay. So so Vita Vey and Dexter Lawrence are exactly the NFL players who post-draft preseason we were anticipating would would give Tyler Lindebaum trouble. Definitely and, stylistically, they are a massive mismatches for him. Yeah. And so that's what we've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I did see something. I, I'm sorry, go ahead. If you, if you have the point no, no, go ahead. I, 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 I did see something. Uh, that uh, Timo Riskid put out that was really good. And he's the he's a one of the new PFF guys. I don't know exactly what his position is now within the the research department, but Eric Eager left, and and he's one of the very senior guys now. 
and he he had a a chart he had of basically the difficulty of assignment mm -hmm. yes. and whatnot. And and it matches up with, with how I've adjusted him so far this season. Is you know, Dexter Lawrence, he gets a huge adjustment. Vita Vea gets a huge adjustment. Uh he's had he's faced some tough nose tackles this year. And not only that, they've been assignments where the other team is really trying to win that one-on-one -on -one matchup because they understand the physical limitations involved. So they're, mm -hmm. they're, they, they've seen the tape. They see him get off balance a little bit against bigger guys. Um, and, and they really try and take advantage of that. And the, the Ravens schemed, as we talked about in the, in the uh, earlier part of the show with Lamar, to get the ball out of his hands quickly. A lot of that was Vea. It's not mm -hmm. really their edge rushers. The Barrett was good. It's not really their edge rushers as much as it's as it's Bayo. There are a lot of uh, of um, Linderbaum highlights on Twitter from this game. A lot of him, you know, running. Uh, is it Devin White? Uh, you know, ten yards downfield, yep. and uh, but it occurs to me that all of his highlights were a, were when he's able to move and get onto a middle linebacker when he's able to get to the second level. He doesn't have highlights against Vita Vey in this game or, or know, against if, Dexter Lawrence. If he did, I mean, the highlights to me or, or the you know the really good blocks he has is taking either end of a double team. If he can hold mm -hmm. the back end effectively after they've, yep. after they've combination blocked and, and someone else, maybe it's Zeitler, maybe it's Powers, gets to level two on the play, but he can hold the back end, great. That's him doing his yep. job. The, right. the, the, where Linderbaum often gets in trouble is with the action verb shed. It shows up okay. all the time on my sheet a lot where a, a player, you know, who's bigger, mostly it's longer in his case, uh, it throws him to the ground. Uh, and, and they're able to do that for a combination. It's not just length. It's also size. You know, he's mm -hmm. just a little bit smaller than the other guys. And so he's he's more able to. He's trying to, you know, win with pad level a lot. So he's staying low. Um, that That is good, generally speaking, but it also risks being thrown to the ground if you if you get out in front of your feet a little bit. And, uh, you know, the, those guys, Dexter, Dexter Lawrence, Vita Vea, you know, if, if he was up against a guy like uh, Pierce on the Ravens or like Jones, uh, those mm -hmm. guys would consistently give him trouble. And there are probably more guys in the league like that that you need to be afraid of, even the guys who aren't Vita Vea or um, uh, uh, Lawrence. Dexter Lawrence. Are, are, there's still a lot of good nose tackles who are much yeah. more powerful, obviously, than what he faced at Iowa. That's it. B for this game. I mean, I'm going to say that's encouraging. Yeah. Are you guys still noticing that there's these strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section at your local grocery store? Well, that's because it's not beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is it liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and its infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring a death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits of every can sold to help kill that plastic pollution. And you guys know me. I come on here and tell you a story about how I've been using it that week and kind of fooling people as I'm drinking water. Well, I got a new one this week. I'm not going to tell you what I did. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do because this week is Halloween. So Monday night, I'm taking the kids around. And I know there's some people that are handing out beer and shots and stuff. But I don't want to do that when I'm around my kids. So when I'm dragging my two eight-year-olds around and going door to door, I'll be dragging the wagon with the cooler of liquid death. So I'll be handing out tall boys of water to parents. And hey, if a kid asks, I can actually give it to a kid as well because all it is is water straight from the Alps. Go on and get liquid death. Get it today. Get it ready for Halloween. Uh, you go get liquid death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find a liquid death retailer near you with their store locator tool. 
at liquiddeath.com forward slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Absolutely. I mean, I, look, I, 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 people think I'm, I'm negative on Tyler Linderbaum in some ways. I'm not at all. I, I want him to succeed. You're I, concerned. I see- you're concerned about his attributes and wh- what they project for his NFL success. But but before before we do go that because that kind of paints me a certain way, Jim. I want to be careful about this. Okay. Is that is that um, he did things in college that would let him get away with playing at his size and length and and mm-hmm. and be very effective. And mm-hmm. and he's he is still in the process of weeding through what's going to work and developing those new set of moves that's going to do it. And the Ravens have played with short arm guys, particularly Kelly Gregg, if you want a really effective short arm guys who yeah. could who could wrestle and do the things they needed to, um, and still be effective with 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 length issues. You know, he's yes, he does have it. Uh, he's just got to got to pick and choose those things and expecting mm-hmm. him to be great is, is a, is right now is probably a little bit of a fool's errand and looking mm-hmm. at him and judging him by his highlights in level two is an enormous mistake. It's, it's right. in a way it's a disservice to him because you, you, you're, you're, you're saying he's better than he really is right now. He is a league average center or slightly above it maybe right now. Okay, that, that's mm-hmm. that's his actual level of play so far this year. Looking backwards, if you want to project forward in terms of traits and quality in this, well, sure, go go ahead and do that. Do your best. I'm talking about how I have scored it for so far. You know, nearly half a season. He's played. Can I? I, I, I just I'm happy. I, I just feel like he's average in the sense that a guy who's got his right foot in an ice bucket and his left foot in a sure. fire is average. You know, like he's. He's he's average, but like his when he's good, when he's effective, he's very, very impressive. And when Vita Vea throws him to the ground and sacks the quarterback, he's extremely unimpressive. Like he's he's average, but he's maybe I want to say he's high variance. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think he has I think he has upside. And that's what I'm talking about when I say he, he needs to work through these things. But yeah, if, if it's you watch Last Chance You. I, I did not. I, I, I hate even make using this as an analogy, but I will. Is they have some some of the kids there that just have never had a chance in in life. Yeah. And they, and, and, they, and uh, they have some behavioral issues, and they end up at this place usually because they don't do something right at a big time school. They end up going back to last chance. You and then you, you what you really get that I like about the program, aside from the football side, is that you get a look at what these kids are trying to improve themselves educationally and get through it. Mm-hmm. And they had this one offensive lineman or defensive lineman. I forget which it was. And just as well that I don't have a name to go with this, um, <laughs> but, but he, but he was, was trying to get through English one Oh one. And mm-hmm. the woman who's grading him is clearly grading him relative to a different standard than you'd grade anybody else's writing. And, and, and they, they had one great quote at the end of the season and, and, and you didn't even have to hear the question because you, all you had to hear was the answer. And it was, yeah, it's and I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. It, it's it's always tempting to grade somebody on the improvement you see as opposed to the actual level of writing that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all I all I could say is Tyler Linderbaum's came to the NFL with baggage, and if that's the bucket on his left foot and the fire on his right foot that you're describing, fine. Okay, mm-hmm. but you know, in, in terms of grading him, we we have to grade. He's at the NFL level. He's playing with the big boys now. He needs to be right. graded on the same standard everybody else is, regardless Absolutely. of what disadvantages he has. So, right. if if you're saying that I see those disadvantages, 
and I think he can overcome them, that's fine. That's reasonable. I'm, I'm certainly hoping for that because the Ravens have a ton invested in this pick. Right, but, right. but uh, you know, I'm, just in terms of grading him so far, I think it's pretty good because, I, I by the way, grading all kinds of other linemen, it, it is normal to start as slightly below average and improve of to, to Matt Skura and a lot of guys at Bradley right. Bozeman, a lot of other guys who really right. end up helping the Ravens. Ben uh, Powers. Ben, ben Powers. Uh, you know, are guys who, who who started a level below where they ultimately ended up with, or even more, and yeah. and and I, you know, I think you're more likely to see the the problems you can't overcome at tackle show up quickly. Well, that's not where Linderbaum is. Linderbaum's on the inside. You know, the Ravens right. are going to surround him with the kind of talent that works well with him, which I think is Giants. So working, yeah. you know, having Cleveland and Zeitler on on two sides of him should really help accentuate. Last time I was with you, well. you talked him dancing with elephants you wanted some elephants next to him and yes to, yeah so anyway well so so i appreciate you going on at that length about it and, and i think uh you and i probably agree that for a rookie for his first seven games posting an nfl average performance you know uh, kind of his first time through the batting order or through the league or whatever oh yeah that's 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 pretty good yeah, ab- absolutely, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want you to think any other way in terms of this. I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you grade wise what he's done week by week here since we're done. They okay. got a, got a C against the Jets, a D plus against Miami, then an A against New England, a D against Buffalo, a B against the uh, against Cincinnati, F against the New York Giants, and a B here. Sorry, I don't have okay. his Cleveland score up, and I don't have his Cleveland score up. I've, I've, I have it on some paper around here. <laughs> Because it's important, I will do this. Um, so he, he got a D against Cleveland as well. Uh, so he had a, a full sack allowed and a, and a third of a quarterback hit in that game. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's been some up and down. Uh, he has, you know, what I really love, he hasn't fallen off the table with any game. He hasn't had no. like a really low F. All his Fs yeah. have been high Fs. His Ds have been, you know, in the range and uh, broad spectrum of outcomes. I just, I, I, I dislike. What I what I hear going on, which is two things: rating by highlights and rating by lack of sacks. And so you see a zero yeah. sack number through eight games. Well, okay, a lot oh, of he centers. must be great. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right, and that doesn't mean it necessarily. And and the other thing is just when when you rate the guy by highlights, we we knew he can get out to level two. We know the guy can fly, right. and we know he can block anybody when he gets there. But right. the but the the problem is at level one. And he yeah. needs to get better and more consistent at the tricks that will make him be effective there. Right. Well, that that is a great look at at at, at him. Uh, I he <laughs> he's been one to me. He's been like just a primary focus of this offseason. Center is a position that I've wanted the Ravens to upgrade for years, and then they spend their first round pick on you know center number one in the draft, which I would be thrilled about, mm-hmm. but then there's, you know, potential size questions about him. So he's just been such a flashpoint player. I think it's encouraging um, to hear the uh, kind of the fluctuation of grades, like, you know, at his most challenging, he's still competitive and he's still getting some highlights and, and uh, you know, just, just a rookie offensive lineman getting his feet under him in the NFL. It's, it's, it's an interesting process, but I, uh, I guess that's really all I have to say about that. Yeah, I, I mean, let's just let's just end this on a positive note. I do expect better from Tyler Linderbaum. I expect it, you know, only not just because, but it has to happen. But I, but I expect it because I think it will happen. I expect yeah. that he he will improve. He will follow a kind of a normal track for some of these right. other centers we've seen uh, for the Ravens over the years. And 
I just, I, I, I'm not, I certainly wouldn't project him to a pro bowl this year, but no, I, I wouldn't I, either. No, no, no. I, I don't think it's out of the question in the future that he could be a pro bowl player based on where he's starting right now. Yeah. And so when you have a rookie, so I think the, the, you know, we, we think of, we think of rookies, first round rookies as being something along the lines of AJ Green or Jamar Chase, where they arrive and they are instantly impact players. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's far more reasonable, especially when you talk about the offensive line and a middle to late first round pick guys have an adjustment level to the NFL because it's the frigging NFL, yep. you know, and you're a 21, 22 year old kid. You do not have your man strength yet. And, you know, Vita Vea and Dexter Lawrence have their man strength, you know, like you like, so, so you're going to be scuffling and, and, and battling to a draw, you know, your first four, eight games in this league. And that's a good result if it's if you're learning your techniques, if you're, you know, hitting the weight room, if you're if you're getting your feet under you to succeed in this league. I think that that is, um, you know, I, I think that you I'm, I'm very preoccupied with growth curves and age, you know, so I love to mm-hmm. see like a 21 year old rookie, you know, 22 uh, year old rookie uh, and, and project some kind of normal growth for them. And uh, so. Um, I, I don't know. I'm rambling about Tyler Lindemann, but he's he's just such a favorite subject and such a high profile. You know, how can a center be a high profile player? But he's really been a focus kind of this season. It's it's really interesting. I mean, the the other guy who who did you know succeed and he succeeded all at once when he did is is Jensen. I mean, the guy. Yeah, uh, he had earned my my own opinion at his at his play at guard over a relatively short time and with the Ravens, what otherwise what they had there, I thought he had earned the right to fail at guard. And then the Ravens didn't give it to him, not really. And then they gave it to him at center instead. And yeah. all of a sudden yeah. he one year and he's terrific. Yeah. yeah. Should uh, we move on to Zeitler or we could yeah, spend let's... another hour talking about Linderbaum. <laughs> it's fine by me. No, I mean, exciting point. I realize everybody's he's a, he's just a natural kind of an everyman that people love anyway from, you know, a high effort, uh, you know, but it's always going to be a case where people are talking about, well, you know, aren't you even considering the fact that he's short and, he, and, he, and he's not big for a center and he's blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, I, I can't. That's not what the grading yeah. system does. So anyway, right. we get it. Zeitler. Uh, really returned to top form in this game from him. No negative plays, five missed blocks, three of five on poles and a, a lot of cases like this, where, when you have a game like this, I call it a Yanda game because uh, ah. you know, there's, there's not too much to talk about. And it makes a very short paragraph in an offensive line yeah. article. But the truth of the matter is he just played very well, uh, had some tough assignments and you get an a with or without adjustment in this game. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the kind of a, really sweet score scorecard that you love to dole out. And it's, it's a uh, uh, one when the, in the run game that it, it'd be hard to um, it'd be hard to underestimate, overestimate, hard to overestimate what he did as, as overstate. part of hard to overstate. overstate. There you go. Overstate what he did in the second half of the Ravens run game here. So great game from, uh, from Zeitler who'd had a couple uh not so great games in a row. It's interesting that the Ravens chose not to replace Yanda really when he walked, when he retired. And in 2020, who played right guard for the Ravens in 2020? Was it Powers? Hold on, because I have the spreadsheet up from the 2020 offensive line scoring because I thought I had the right one up and I didn't. Uh, One sec. Uh... Uh... 
Let me make sure I've got this right. Okay, Stanley, Bozeman, Skura, Phillips started the season at right guard. Tyree, that's right. Yeah, he 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 wasn't that good. And then no. let's see, they had to use him some. McCary played some right guard for them. Yeah, about weeks five through ten, and he was okay, good at times, not so good at others. And then Powers was in at guard. I'm not sure whether he's playing on the left or right side, but Powers actually, I thought, played pretty well for the for the season that year in 20. Um, so Marshall Yonder retires at the end of the 2019 season. The Ravens are like, you know, all right, we can cobble together a Tyree Phillips, a Ben Powers, maybe a little bit of Macari, and we can get most of what we got out of a Marshall Yonder. And then one season of that was enough for them to go, you know what? We need a professional, experienced yeah. right guard, and let's go get Kevin Seitler. What I mean, he's been a, just a terrific acquisition. Yeah, great signing, and uh, he was, Price was right. Everything about him was right. And, and the only the only thing I really hope is he's going to go into his third year, and he still has some money to earn in this third year. Mm-hmm. But I really hope it's not a retirement situation because the Ravens could, should be thinking about extending him, not not figuring out how does he retire. But if you're going to extend him, he's now at this point in his career where you probably want to extend him for three years to get two kind of thing. Gotcha. They, How they old is he? Is he 32? Yeah, he's, he's up there, but he's still playing well. You know, you probably take the, uh, the risk of uh, Campbell on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is 32 this season and March 8th, 1990 was his birthday. So gotcha. All these guys who were born just a few days after the Tyson Douglas fight, and actually he was born a year. He he wasn't even alive for the Tyson the Tyson Douglas fight. That just makes me feel really old. That's crazy. <laughs> I remember God, we watched that on pay-per-view. Our, oh, it was shocking. Yep. Um <laughs> do you follow so Kevin Zeitler's wife is on Twitter. I think her name is Sarah. Mm-hmm. And she her tweets are adorable. She um She's the one who posted video of him practicing past sets in the hospital room while she was in labor. Yeah. Like she took like, <laughs> a secret little video of him. And then uh, I think earlier this year, maybe in training camp, somebody asked him about Makari and he described him as a unicorn. And most people don't understand how valuable a guy who can play every position is, but he's incredible. And then he uh, was asked, I guess, after this game, you know, what's it like playing with Lamar Jackson? And he said something about, you know, Lamar's ability to hit a home run, you know, at any time he could come out like the sun, you know, through a dark cloud or something like that. And so Sarah, I believe that's her name, tweets out like a screen capture of this quote. You know, she's texting him. She texts him that and said, you know, I can't believe you said this, LOL. And then something like you called uh, Makar, you called Pat, a unicorn you call Lamar the sun what do you think of me <laughs> he's like uh you're the light of the universe and she's yes. like good save or yes. something it's the sweetest thing uh so look her up on twitter she's a great follow very entertaining seems to be a very nice lady <laughs> yeah i got the, the more interactive family members the better that i like it for the for the uh uh the ravens family so uh, yeah it seems to be a lot of I, I won't get into it. I was going to mention something about Kennedy's father, but I, I always liked um, uh, uh, Maurice Kennedy. Maurice Kennedy. I, 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 the fact that I've forgotten his name right now is not a good thing, but, but I always had positive things to say about him. I thought he could be the guy. And then yeah. uh, like uh, he, he left the team and his dad DMs me and says, I thought you've always been very fair with my son. It's like, Oh, like, that's so nice. I, mean, I, I really didn't know that. I just, you know, I just, <laughs> 
So. Uh, you know, the modern era and the engagement, how approachable, how yeah. engageable these guys are is, is really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about Morgan Moses? Sure, absolutely. So Morgan Moses played 68 of 71 snaps in this game. Just three missed. And, and anytime Moses leaves the game now, it has us concerned a little bit. Played very well. Yeah. 1.5 pressures. Remember, he's got Shaq Barrett for most of the game on his side. Uh, mm. Two missed blocks only. So I thought he did a very good job of handling Barrett. Obviously, it wasn't absolutely perfect, but he's pretty, pretty darn close for what he did. Six level two blocks, three pancakes. So he was delivering a lot of the sledgehammer effect, and a lot of that's going to be uh, uh, the nature of the of the way they're running the game uh, is giving him a lot of level opp- two opportunities. But uh, but still, a with or without adjustment. Uh, sorry, a with adjustment. Uh, nope, a with or without right. adjustment. Okay. No. So it looks like the right side of the line did a little better than the left side of the line today. I, yeah. I, in this game. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say that. And that's that's fine. But I mean, the overall results to have A, A, B, B plus, McCary go 16 for 16 and Stanley get a C. You would take yeah. that every Sunday of the year. And, and, and more importantly, even if you couldn't get every Sunday of the year, I take it for every playoff game. I think that the so the the there was a story around draft time that Eric DaCosta sat down with Lamar and asked him, what do you need? And Lamar didn't say wide receiver. Lamar said O-line. And we don't know the truth or falseness of that, but I would say that the offensive line has absolutely improved over last year. And there's really doesn't seem to be any question to me about that. It's not close. Yeah. Stanley is the big domino and, and having him back is just all the difference in the world. You had two weak tackles last year. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, McCary was just hanging on at right tackle. At times he was okay. At times he wasn't. Uh, at times, at times he actually played very well. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to put down a season, but it was still a C minus overall season at, at, at right tackle. And, and, it not, you know, nice to have that as your backup, not nice to have that as your starter, if you can avoid it. Right. And then on the left side, they're suffering through Alejandro Villanueva, who's just utterly terrible. And all of the mirror trust that I talk about that, that Stanley had given Lamar, you know, in terms yeah. of being able to take a take a bump pressure from behind and know that Stanley right. wasn't going to let the guy rip his shoulder off or get the football yeah. loose. Uh, you know, just all of that was gone. And Lamar just had a very tough year of scrambling and dealing with pressure. I think that DaCosta's ability or 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 maybe it's Joe DeLisandris or something, but to to dig up reasonable options at tackle for the Ravens is kind of really easy to overlook. But we had Juwan James who did not, you know, make it, I don't think even through game one, right? But he looked really good when he was in there, I thought, or, or really, uh, really capable of meeting the challenge. Makari has played better than you would expect a swing tackle to play. Ronnie Stanley finally came back. Daniel Fa'alele. You know, uh, and that's not mentioning Morgan Moses. I mean, that's a lot of guys to dig up who can provide credible play at the most critical position on the offensive line. And that's impressive to me. I I, I would probably describe it a little differently in saying, okay. you know, it, 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 you see Harbaugh and he really struggles for the correct adjective to use with regard to Fa'alele's play. And he says okay. viable. Okay. Yeah. I, I, you know, and then he also said that uh, he's going to be part of the mix as we go forward. Well, no, he's not going to be part of the mix. He's never going to see the field again. If, if, if everything goes right in the season, or if he does, it'll be in, in some mop up duty where great. Or six O linemen on the goal line or something like that. Yeah, something, something like that. You bring him in and, and take the snap directly and, and, and 
see everybody get out of the way. <laughs> uh, you know, I'd love to see him in some in some gadgetry, but but you know, the truth of the matter is, we do not want to see Daniel Falalele on the field for any meaningful snaps the rest of this year. And he's a developmental lineman. I mean, he's a fourth right. round left tackle. He's a guy you you don't expect to be good right away. I yes. you know what I've seen in terms of growth from him. I think it's amazing from game to game, from preseason to, to the regular season, and he still graded an F in both games that he was in there for me. So, uh, you know, while he was, you know, he was, it's, it's, you want to grade him on growth again. If you're grading him on actual results, it just, it wasn't. I, 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 I don't, I want, I don't care to a certain extent what a rookie fourth round picks grade is when he goes out at left tackle because the two guys ahead of him got injured. I don't expect mm-hmm. him to, to to post a good grade. What I want is for it not to be an emergency every snap. You know what I'm okay. saying? Like if, he, right. if, if he takes a holding penalty and tackles some guy before he rips Lamar's head off, awesome. You know, I, I want there to be, it's a stopgap, right? It's a finger in the dike. It's, it's a, you know, I just want it not, to be an emergency, not to be a crisis, you know, and if he gets a bad grade, that's fine. But we limp to the end of this game and our quarterback is alive and we've won. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I, I think I do, okay. but, but I, I'm just going to say that w- what you're kind of describing to me or how I would kind of re-paraphrase what you're saying is that they don't have any fall off the table F games. They don't have any O'Neill Cousins games yes. or James Hurst games yes. where yes. the quarterback is just all over Lamar, you know, every other play kind of yes. thing. Yes, yes. And, and that that they got from Falele. A lot of what he did was just some missed blocks, uh, some some you know, not really knowing how to use his hands properly. Right. At this There's level. no chance in hell yeah. he knows NFL technique. You know, at the year at the at the time of the season that he appeared in games, right. there is no chance that he could play quote well unquote. But yeah. he competed. He scuffled. He kept guys off Lamar. He you know did what he had to do. It was not. A James Hurst. It was not an O'Neill Cousins level emergency. We were not afraid that Lamar was going to get murdered, uh, snap to snap. That that to me that is, you know, I'm not going to give him quote a high grade for that, but maybe as a prospect, I might give him a high. Yeah. And very reasonable, very reasonable to project from this because I mean, I can see I can see the growth within the F level. You know, yeah. is, is that he's, he's he's doing certain things better game to game, even series to series sometimes. I mean, the one preseason game, very first preseason game, Daniel Fatalele was was taking way too deep sets. So yes, he, yes. he over mirrors without making contact. And the very next game, he's out there making contact much wider of the quarterback. And it was clearly a point of emphasis, you know, from game to game. I mean, to the his ability that- to learn from coaching was astonishing. So, so when I'm so, so, so maybe I'm talking about their ability to dig up literally five quote viable unquote options at offensive tackle this season. This, these first three or four games could have been disasters yes. for Lamar and the Ravens, and they were not. And a huge part of that was their ability to find uh, players you could survive with at left tackle through the first three game, few games of the season. I think that's an undertold story of this season. Yeah, that's fair. I, I I think that's fair. McCarry had his best games, you know, those first couple of weeks, and uh, and he he let him hold on, and then Falele was, you know, good enough to get by for one win in those two weeks, mm-hmm. and I think he might have played in the Buffalo game too, right? He might have started that I think game. So, I think so. so. Uh, you know, it, it, it's not like it was an easy set of set of no. uh, opportunities, anyway. 
All right, let's let's move on and talk skill position players. All right, can uh, can I talk about some uh, pass catchers? At oh yes, absolutely. So Isaiah likely had, uh, as we know, his best game as a professional. He was targeted seven times, caught six passes for 77 yards and a touchdown. That's a cool 11 yards per target. It, uh, it, it, it's, it's going to be, it's going to shine like a light, right? But the, the light did not necessarily go on this game. His last three games, he's been over 10 yards per target. He's had 12 targets over those three games, caught nine of them for 123 yards. And that's a huge difference from his first five games where he caught uh, a little over half of his 13 targets for a measly 4.5 yards per target. So he has shown growth this season and it really blossomed uh, in, the, in the Thursday night game. Well, while we're talking about likely, I, I, j- I just want to say he's clearly gained a lot of trust with Lamar, which is very valuable. We talked in the first yeah. episode, I believe, about you know, really gaining the trust of the coaches with a very good run blocking game. I mean, yes, he, he was asked to do a lot of that in the second half. He did a very good job with it. So, so that's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm positive on that end, but one of the consequences of becoming one of Lamar's favorites is that your yards per target is necessarily going to go down as you become the sure. emergency guy. So yeah. he's, he'll get targets on the margin now because he's been so effective these last few games that will drag him down from the 10 yards per target. But even so, if 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 he could get through this the rest of the season, I mean, from this point forward, at eight yards per target, I'd be thrilled with it. I think he'd be he'd be ninety five percent of what the Ravens need him to be. Well, it's also over the NFL average for tight ends. Last year, the NFL average for a tight end was about seven point one or seven point two, something like that, yards per target for a tight end. So, so I'd be happy with something even less lofty than that—a mere you know six and a half to seven yards per target, Ooh, which is low. slightly below average. Oh, you think so? Yeah, I mean, too low. in in this offense, too low. Okay. Yeah, I I I got to have higher than that. And and I mean, first of all, likely isn't you you know your average uh, in line no. tight end guy. So he's that's he's, true. A, he's, he's more a fast of a wide guy. receiver. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Demarcus Robinson had his best game as a Raven. He was uh, targeted. Whoops, I, I scrolled too far. He was targeted eight times, catching six of them for sixty-four yards for cool eight yards per target. That's actually one of his best games as a professional. Uh, he, um, let's see, is one of his highest usage usage games ever. It's uh, his third most targets ever in a game. Wow, and his highest yard, <laughs> yardage total. Yeah, he was uh, he was a role guy in Kansas City. He was not one of their primaries. So he only had uh, a couple of games with eight or more, tar- only five total games with eight or more targets ever in his career. So this is that's, one of his bigger breakout games. That's that's great information. He he did have not terrible yards per target back in 18 and 19, but he's been kind of in a slow decline since then in terms of, mm-hmm. of where he's been. And 5.6 for, for this year has been one of the really big disappointments, but it's nice to see him he have a big game. A lot of elusiveness after the catch in this game from him. Surprising amount. And and I've been wondering where that was. And I didn't know if he was targeted. I, I should have looked up his his depth of target uh, going into these games because he uh, has not been doing much with the targets that he had gotten up until the Tampa game. And I was wondering if maybe it was because he was targeted short or not. So Devin Duvernay is targeted four times, caught them all for 31 yards, a cool 7.8 yards per target. Uh, Duvernay Duvernay's high catch rate has been super consistent game to game. He's had most games. He's caught everything that's come his way. Uh, he's had a few games with, with higher target targets and, 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 you know, hasn't caught absolutely everything, but his, his hands are just clamps. I mean, it gets close to him and he just locks it down. It's very impressive. 
I, I do want to go back for a second to Demarcus Robinson, just to, yeah. to, to to make your point about where he's been catching the ball. His his years at Kansas City, uh, and this is his A dot effectively. His, it's actually his yards before the catch per reception: seven point mm-hmm. eight, ten point six, six point five, and eight point one. His years at Kansas City. His one yeah. year at Baltimore now five point five. So he's, yeah, so very low. Yeah. So he's been used, I guess, as a safety valve or an outlet guy. Uh, and and with uh, with with Bateman leaving the game and the Ravens having a uh, having a throw more game plan, he wound up with some deeper targets and, and did better with them than than he had been up until Thursday. Yeah, Duvernay, what would the what would the offense be without him? And and no matter how many touches he gets, I still feel like he they would do well with more. It's interesting that they have. Uh, uh, so, so the draft expert Matt Waldman talked about Duvernay coming out of college, and he talked about him as being uh, uh, a gadget, potentially a gadget player like James White was in uh, New England, where you throw him a lot of passes, you put him in the backfield sometimes, you know, use him near the goal line in a variety of ways, uh, and that Waldman hoped that Duvernay would go to a team that would use him in that variety of ways, and that has not been the case. Duvernay's first two seasons in Baltimore, and it really has been the case this year. We've schemed him some, uh, you know, he's, he's run out of the backfield. Obviously he's had the jet sweeps to, to go with his deep, um, his deep receptions. Uh, it's really been a complete usage of him in a way that was kind of forecasted by some draft analysts, but not really taken advantage of in prior seasons here. Yes. Uh, uh, very much so. And I mean, a lot of times when they're looking at a player like that, they look at limitations as a receiver, too, in terms of his ability to wiggle at the top of the route, what he can do yeah. in terms of, of of route running ability. And that was something that Duvernay had been somewhat criticized for. But I think he's shown more there, too, this year. I think we've we've seen more from him in terms of his ability to get free from defenders, which means he has to be giving him some wiggle at the top of the route, because even as fast as he is, he wouldn't get free by much. Uh, and as often as he has deep this year. He's made, would you call him, uh, would you say he has had a ton of separation on his receptions? Because I would not. I would say that he's made a ton of contested catches or catches with a guy, you know, maybe not contesting the actual location of the ball, but with a guy right on his back or, or right near him. Some of both, I would say. Um, you're, you're right. I mean, he had a great catch in the end zone, which he, he plucked it you know, off from off of somebody else, basically in front of defender in front mm-hmm. of him. Uh, yeah. He's had others where he's been behind the defense, including, you know, a big miss for what about 55 yards down the right sideline right. from Lamar. Right. Uh, right. So I, 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 I do think he's had some separation. This year. He's also been open in the middle of the field, uh, you know, more often. And it's not something, it's not super often. Maybe it's, you know, once or twice per game, he's getting open yeah. there. And once per game, if it's, if it's good, Lamar's getting him the ball there. And and that's creating opportunity. I just I, I've 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 enjoyed so much every way in which he's touched the football, even when it really Absolutely. hasn't worked out. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that uh his trust factor with Lamar, I think I don't know if he's a great route runner in terms of earning separation, mm-hmm. but I believe that he is a very accurate route runner in terms of being where Lamar expects him to be. Okay. And Lamar has shown the willingness to let him make the you know fight for the ball in those situations. So, uh, so yeah, I, I don't know if he has the wiggle or if he's deceptive, but he's where he's supposed to be, and he's catching just about every damn thing. Mm-hmm. So that's you know uh, 
I'm going to use the phrase, the term number two receiver for him. He's been everything I think that you want from a number two receiver, except target volume. I, 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 I just hate the term because everybody's a number two or three receiver that comes into this offense just because there's a paucity of total touches. Yep. There's, there's, yeah. You know, fewer, fewer total passes when they are throwing. A lot of them go to tight ends. Mark Andrews always has the largest share. Uh, right. you know, a lot of the, a lot of the dropbacks end up being runs. I mean, just it, all of the, all of the things that just, you know, if, if somebody really thinks it's important for us to have a number one receiver who gets 160 targets and 105 catches and, and puts up 1300 yards, they're just missing the point of football. This is one of the yes. best offenses in the national football league. Yes. Appreciate it already. <laughs> well, so when I say number two receiver, I'm not, not, I'm not trying to say that he's putting up number two receiver numbers. Sure. I'm trying to say that the, like, like, like I, you've heard me speak very glowingly about Rashad Bateman. And I, I think that if he were healthy, he would be the, the, the unicorn number one receiver that Ravens fans have been clamoring for. Uh, and, and that has to do not just with his ability to catch the ball, but his shiftiness to shake guys at the line of scrimmage, his ability to work shallow, to work deep, to, to just to be everywhere a receiver needs to be. So I talked a minute ago about Duvernay being, uh, perhaps not a great separation route runner, but an accurate route runner. And so I'm I'm calling that a potential deficit in his skill set, which would take him down from being the mythical number one receiver. But he's where he's supposed to be, and he catches every damn thing, and he's got a lot of speed. So he's he's great for being the other guy in an offense where the target volume goes to Mark Andrews and it goes to Rashad Bateman and you need one guy to punish defenses for any mistake they might make and to occasionally, you know, be the, the primary read. So I'm calling him a number two receiver kind of from a, from a, from a, he, I don't think he could carry the every down volume load of a guy like a, you know, yeah. Calvin Johnson, Julio or whatever, but to, to be, John Taylor to somebody else's Jerry Rice, you know, he can catch those other balls, you know, the, 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 the defensive lapses, the other targets. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that's a good way to state it. And, and Jim, you know, I'm not getting on you when I talk about I number two, number one receivers, number two, number one wide receiver is what every person on Twitter who, who wants to pick up every 33 year old wide receiver, as soon as they become available, you know, make it happen. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, right. I just, it's exhausting is all I can say. <laughs> is the thing. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, let's, uh, uh, I, let's sorry, kind of wrap up a couple more pass catchers. Then we'll move on. So Mark Andrews uh, targeted five times, caught three of them for 33 yards at 6.6 yards per target. Obviously he left the game early. That is a uh, Mark Mark's yards per target numbers have been lower this season, but I think you've talked about, you know, how he uh, has, has kind of really been the load carrying and he's taking a lot of marginal targets and emergency targets and, you know, short yardage targets. And, and so I think that's a natural consequence. Uh, a phrase that I've been using in the column that I've been writing for RSR is just making greatness look routine. Um, this was just an ordinary rather than a great day for uh, for a tight end who had his day cut short, really. 13 snaps and he got 33 yards there's you know per, right. per route run basis he, he certainly That's looked good ridiculous uh last guy i want to mention is james prochet this is only his second game this season with a target his first game this season with multiple catches uh he was targeted four times caught three of them for 24 yards which is six yards per target um and uh of course he's missed a couple games with a groin he hasn't really got on track yet this season i think that uh, a high 
uh, pass attempt game was kind of what was needed for him to start getting some targets. Um, I had high expectations for him going into the season. He hasn't uh, really realized any of that yet. I don't know that he has the foot speed for Greg Roman to want to put him out there with the other, you know, with the heavy sets, you know, with the tight ends and fullbacks and and running backs that the Ravens are putting on the field. So I don't know that Prochet will really ever get uh, much of an opportunity in, in this offense, but I think he has more to give than he's shown. Right. I mean, this would have been the year for him to outplay Duvernay and take that job from him during the preseason because Duvernay mm-hmm. didn't have any kind of great track record and Prochet had over 10 yards of target last year. And there yeah, have been very yeah. many Ravens who've done that. And he did he did it with only 20, 20 targets, but still that's good. Right. Uh, you know, it, 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 I, I would agree. I think his, his chance to really be that guy for the Ravens is probably gone, but you never know. Injury can come up and he can get another opportunity that way. Uh, you know, depending on how quickly Bateman comes back or if somebody else were to get hurt. Um, yeah, there's, there's still a chance. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's talk about any other skill position players you'd like to talk about. And we, we, at this point, we let the guests go first. You pick uh, a player and I'll kind of respond. Then I'll pick the next one. Um, would you mind if I let you go first? Because I'm trying to decide between the things I already said in the first episode and the things I said now, sure. who I would like to highlight. So we just, so we already talked about DuVernay. Um, we certainly talked about likely. We, we have talked about most of these players. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'll just, I'll make the point on Justice Hill one more time that I think he's absolutely indispensable to the Ravens right now. And yeah, I would agree with we, that. We saw him on special teams make the big play. Uh, as as big as heady a play, I can only remember that happening one other time in Ravens history, where a um, return man was pushed into the uh, re- returner. Sorry, a, a, one of the uh, gunner gun, jammers. That's what I'm looking. The word I'm looking for was pushed into the the return man. It happened against in the San Diego game in 2000, and I think Duran Jenkins, the ex Raven, was actually the guy who got pushed in to the return man in that game. I can't remember who did it for the Ravens, but I remember, I remember that occurring in that game. Uh, but it's, it's just a, a relatively rare play. He had to be really cognizant of the block in the back risk on the play. Yeah. But even yep. with a little bit, it was worth it. It was worth the risk on a block in the back there to give away, uh, you know, some yardage potentially on the, on, on the play. And uh, uh, boy, what a, what a big, big heady play to, to, to apply he, the pressure just, just he has turned into something just this year. It's, it's, you know, we talked about Ryan Jensen suddenly turning into something in, in whatever year of his contract that was like, sometimes players cook and then they, they suddenly like, it all comes to them. And it, it does seem to, I wish, I wish he could stay healthy because he has looked tremendous when he's been on the field, Justice Cole. Yeah. And, and he exactly fits the Ravens stylistic needs. So that, that fumble was really, you know, had me worried about not using him, but no problem. He's back. He's running the ball really effectively this week again. And, uh, and obviously he makes a big special teams play like that. You know, that's going to erase most of the negative balance of his account from the, uh, from the fumble last week that almost cost him the game. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to talk about Kenyon Drake. Uh, and I think we mentioned this in the in the in the first half uh, about how he looks really odd, uh, kind of when he loses his balance as a runner, but when he's able to kind of hit a hole on balance, how he has enough speed to really kind of make a difference. I think he hit over twenty miles per hour on that long run hmm. that he had. So he's he's really a good adjunct to what uh, the Ravens put on the field. 
And I was impressed by the touchdown reception, not because it was such a great play, but because I feel like other teams have been scoring on that goddamn play against the Ravens <laughs> for years. And the Ravens never score on that play, you know, in return where the quarterback rolls and the running back gains some depth from him and the an intermediate defender is kind of in conflict. Do I cover the running back? Do I, do I come up on the quarterback? What do I do? And it's just a very simple pitch and catch for a short touchdown. Uh, that play has seemed unstoppable against us in prior years. It was nice to see the Ravens score on that play. Yeah. I, it, 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 you're right. And, and I know exactly what you mean, but we've with Lamar, we should have a quarterback who can provide the better throwing angle. And, and even then, I mean, it was a, I believe it was a challenge throwing angle to get it by the defender who was on that side, mm-hmm. right? It was, there, there was a, there was a, 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 a rusher who was kind of in limbo. Yep. He wasn't yet coming after yep. Lamar, but he had his hands up. Uh, it, it's, it's nice to have a quarterback who can, who can make the adjustment, get that ball through. Not going to happen every time, but but he did certainly that time. Kenyon Drake, I, I, we talked about a little bit earlier, but but he's a guy who I think does pretty well when the block is well when the when the when the play is well blocked up. Uh, he's yeah. not a guy I associate with a ton of contact balance, de- decent cutback runner, decent speed. Not not the kind of you don't want him to be your speed option. You don't want him to be your Justice Hill on, in terms of running to the outside. But he's provided the Ravens enough in terms of of being can you, cutback. Can, can you say what, what do you mean by that? I want a guy with with more um, speed to get to the outside because that spreads the line of scrimmage defensively and creates enormous opportunities for Lamar. Now, so there- he posted he posted some uh, is it GSIS? What's the system that that reports on players' miles per hour that they hit on some of their runs? Is it Next Gen Stats? A- AWS Next Gen, yeah. Yeah, so he posted uh, after his long run that he he posted this on Twitter that he got up to twenty miles per hour on that run. Great. So is he a, a slow build up, not enough acceleration player? That I mean, if if you're really just talking speed, you don't really need to break it down to subcomponents of you know stride length and stride mm-hmm. frequency to, yeah. to get down to. He's he's not quite quite as quick as Justice Hill is. Okay, Justice okay. Hill is just a you know a, a, another Duvernay for that matter is another level of fast. That, that yeah. you know, those guys are giving the Ravens exactly what they need to spread the line of scrimmage. Jet motion from Duvernay is very effective. The, the way they counter is very effective. You know, they, they pull two linemen uh, that nothing will get a linebacker moving like a pulling guard. Uh, right. and, and that's and all of those things are great things for Lamar then to use as he reads, make some good reads, take off with them. You know, in this game, he made a couple bad reads that they point to. One ended up in the him down in the backfield on a on a loss, which is really rare to see. By the way, you don't you don't yeah. see him taken down the backfield very often. And then the other one ended up, I think, at the twenty five yard gain to start the second half. Was he he actually misread, but he still beat the guy at the line of scrimmage and took off up the middle instead of instead of to the edge. Uh, he he has. <laughs> so we talked about the two thousand nineteen against the game against the Patriots. He made a bad read. In that game, where he should have given it and he kept it, I think it was a goal line play. He kept it, and one stride later, he finds himself squared up with like Van Noy or somebody. And he turned and followed the path of the running back that he sh- that he should have given it to, <laughs> and had enough suddenness and speed to score on the play. Um, 
and Collinsworth was calling the game and just laughed about how, you know, Lamar made the wrong read and still had enough speed to follow the original, you know, designed path and score anyway. I think that this happens not infrequently that Lamar, I think one, he reads keep maybe 20% more often than he ought to. And then two, he has such preposterous talent that he can recover from a wrong read and still turn that into a positive play. I, I, I would not disagree with that narrative that there, there certainly are some wrong reads that he makes right. There's, yeah. there's for sure. I, I still say in terms of the history of athletics, that yeah. there's been no one who's on the efficient frontier of dangerousness in teams of speed and ability to read leverage the way he has. I mean, Muhammad Ali is the guy who right. I always talk about as the similar athlete. If you're talking about football players, Gail Sayers, Barry Sanders, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the most dangerous runners that have ever lived. Uh, in terms of uh, of what they do, I mean, Jim Thorpe and and uh, Jim Brown, different types of runners. You know, big time, heavy power runners, uh, right. big physical guys, run through contact, know how to maintain contact balance. That wasn't their game. I mean, it, it, Lamar is just he's he's so special in this regard. It should ha- have that time in the mesh, and I think that's why the Ravens have ended up with a lot of these geriatric backs. Is they end up getting guys who they think can be comfortable with the mesh point more. Mm-hmm than they even want the stylistic needs they actually have. <laughs> and and uh, and that's very frustrating to me. I wish they would take more chances in that regard because I think they actually gain more from having a guy who has speed and get to the outside and stretch. Well, that I think, speed. I mean, they were in emergency situations, right? Like a, who they can acquire in the off season is different from who they can do. Like in season, you can't take very many risks and being able to handle the mesh point and not change the entire offense. Like, like they are, they're behind the gun when they're looking for replacements for Dobbins and Gus and Justice Hill last year. It's a bad place to be, but I can take one guy who's an older guy who you're sure of on the mesh point. The rest of the guys, I want R and one choices from other people's practice squads that you think meet the stylistic need. And I'm sure uh-huh. that's in the opportunity set. And it happened that in 21 in particular, there was a limited pool of those players because of the COVID draft. Yeah, uh, basically holding people back. So it was a it was a it was a limited set of R and one players. But the Ravens have that's their bread and butter is going out there and finding guys who who fit that that matchup. And and some of them they sign as UDFAs. But you know Gus Edwards, of course, a, a UDFA himself. And they went out and they got Collins off the right. Seattle roster, I think, at the time. Right. And, yes, they've been good about it. And and I I I, I just I kind of hope they can. They can get some of those guys. They've lost a few too. I mean, in Smoke Mizell and uh, oh yeah, and uh, Raheem Mostert, who ended up being a really oh, yeah. good player. Yeah. Oh God, how I mean, he would have been great with the Ravens the last two years. He would have been, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned Lamar not losing very many yards behind the line of scrimmage very often. Yep. I wondered during the game. And I wanted to ask you this as a question, but then I did a tiny little bit of research on it myself. I wondered if Lamar loses less yards per sack than the usual quarterback loses when sacked. I am I, I am almost certain that that's true over the course of his career. Yeah, and, and so relative- I looked it up. And so this year, he has lost five yards per sack this season, which is the lowest figure mm-hmm. in the league among qualifiers. Uh, usually guys, most quarterbacks, uh, are around six or seven, uh, yards per sack. And those guys who are low, they tend to be the young and mobile quarterbacks like Justin Herbert, Daniel Jones, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen. You know, those are, those are the guys who are low on the yards lost per sack on his career. Lamar's even lower 4.975 yards lost per sack on his career. 
And, you know, I, I said, you know, the other guys are, you know, around six or seven yards, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, lost a lot of yards on sacks. Yeah. So Lamar does went, Lamar gets sacked. However, frequently he gets sacked, but on a per sack basis, he tends to lose less yards per sack than most quarterbacks do. When they're yeah. Sacked. And, and that's a lot of that is because he's, he's, deciding that that's going to be a run play and it will either work out for a, a big positive scramble or it will not. And so the, the number I like with Lamar is the forced not to pass. Yes, yes, yes. Play. And so, yep. so far this year, he's at 1.92 and that's down positive. a little bit. Yeah. Positive. And that's, it's very yeah. unusual to have a player who's much above one. Those are really only a few quarterbacks in the whole league. Uh, and a few, a few quarterbacks are negative. Like Brady is probably a substantial negative net because he almost never gets a positive you know, run right. play. Uh, but, but anyway, the, the, he's, it's not a total throwaway. If, if Lamar is in the position where he's making a, de- a decision between a, a, a scramble or not. And, you know, the, the Vita Vea sack, uh, that's unfortunate, but that didn't have a chance to really turn into a run play uh, no. a, as it, as it played out there. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I, I think I'm, my list is fairly well exhausted. Is there anybody else you'd like to talk about? I got two more items on my list. Uh, one is, um, <laughs> uh, this is a weird one, but I am annoyed by the constant reference to Patrick Ricard by broadcasters as being a 300-pound yes. fullback. <laughs> uh, and it, there's an inherent deceptiveness there because what happens is a player comes out of the combine, he enters the NFL, and that's the weight that we describe him at for the rest of his career. Uh, and, you know, certainly Patrick Ricard was a 300-pound fullback at one point. But after he moved to full-time offense, you know, and, and, and ended his defensive career, he dropped a little bit of weight to get some speed. He's probably, what would you say, 275, 280? Yeah, he's that, a big guy. That's the right range. I, I've, I've made the point that I've seen him and Bradley Bozeman walking next to each other in the same height. Yeah. And, and you know, there's complete difference in body shape involved yeah and, and and maybe Ricard has a little more muscle but it ain't no way they're you know within 30 or 40 pounds of each other he's he outweighs him Bozeman outweighed him by probably 50 pounds when I saw him. Yeah. yeah yeah so he's not a 300 pound fullback so stop it he's maybe he's a yeah. 260 270 pound fullback which is certainly big but yeah. he's not you know the size he was when he was also rushing the passer on the defensive side of the ball in his rookies rookie year that Ravens roster and the official one that's the PR roster has all kinds yeah. of malfeasance. Uh, <laughs> in it. I mean, I, that's, that's, it's misdirection. It's whatever you want to call it, but it's, it's it, the, the, uh, they forced Cleveland to weigh in, I think after he came back and they restated yeah. his weight at the new weigh in, which is 370 pounds. Yeah. And I think they're going to leave that there until he does something to change it. You know, meaning, meaning he, he's, he's probably 345 or something right now. He's three. Oh, they're giving him shit until he yes. like proves himself by yeah. becoming a good player or something. That's funny. Yeah. So, I mean, he was drafted. At, I think he carried 356 at the combine or something, or maybe he was at 343 yeah. at the combine. It was, it was a, you know, enormous weight, even for a lineman. Just, you know, it's, it's one of the things you like about him is that he's right. this massive human being. Well, then he comes back fat from his wedding and, and, you know, he's carrying 20 extra pounds. And now all of a sudden you're upset about it. And, and he, then he fails his conditioning test with the extra weight and right. that didn't go well. And then they put that on the roster. And then meanwhile, all the time with Ricard, it's 303, 311. It's all these different weights that don't make any sense for, for yeah. uh, where he is. But, the, I, you know, they're, 
there's nothing that the PR people are doing, by the way, that they weren't directed to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that was, and, and I know that there have been cases where they put out a depth chart, which is very highly suspect, where they always have the rookies at the bottom of the depth chart, even if right, they, you know, right. uh, the, the rookie's got to earn it. Rookie's got to earn it. Exactly. <laughs> All right. My last item is the drive. I thought that the last drive to get that um, margin of safety field goal that turned it from a, from a, you know, the, the Bucks had cut it from a one score game to a two. Wait, had they cut it to three points? They cut it to eight. I think they, cut they, it. they, they failed on fourth and three. They, 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 then they got a false start. So they, they had to bet backed up and then they had to kick it and yeah. they cut it. They cut it to eight from 11. So it might've been 24 to 16 at the time. Whatever, whatever our last field goal of the game, I thought that that was a very professional drive. What I wrote down, pro drive to seal the game with the margin of safety fourth quarter field goal. It was, I think Ravens fans were maybe disappointed. Oh, we should have punched it into the end zone. But I think the reality of that game situation is that's just a professional salt away the win, you know, get the field goal, you know, change it to change the score to something that's a little less in danger. I was, I was extremely impressed by that. Not more impressed than I was by the stretch of three touchdowns, but but impressed by the the game closingness and the very professional handling of the way to salt away the game. I, I give you two things to to love about that. One is exactly what you said is is hey they got that big run out of Drake that basically keyed the whole drive, and then they and mm-hmm. then they failed on one series that ended with Drake on third and one. Their only failed series yeah. the entire second half. There's only time they they had three downs and they didn't get a first down the entire second half. And obviously the the, the Tampa Bay was selling out for the run. The Ravens weren't going to do anything but run it. So, you know, it had a good chance to fail there, unfortunately, as, as the way it was. But in terms of game management, give Harbaugh his due here. If Harbaugh would have oh. gone for that on fourth and one, it would have been a, a, a really bad game decision. He didn't fall into that trap. He made the right choice. And, and the Ravens are, from an analytics perspective, uh, you know, are never going to disappoint us in terms of understanding how to how to um, manipulate the scoreboard properly. Now, most fans grew up in a different era of football where yes. mathematicians didn't run the game, and, right. and you know, they're just they, they're just they're just not used to it, and, and 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 so it upsets them when things don't meet their traditional norms. And oh, you're chasing points. Oh, you you know you don't know how to play football. And in my day, blah blah right. blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I, I'm tired of all that, honestly. And you can hear me in the blah 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 when I when I go. <laughs> thing. But 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 uh, uh, you know, it's it's uh, the models are working correctly. It was obviously a situation where your 100% kicker goes on the field and and uh, and makes that field goal, and you put it make it a two score game again. System system kicker. Yeah. <laughs> He's a system kicker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There he is. All right. Uh, the last of, I'm sorry, my very last item is Lamar's first multi touchdown day in five games. He was held to only one passing touchdown in each game versus Buffalo, Cincinnati, and the Giants, and then didn't throw one last week versus the Browns. So he's back on the multi touchdown uh, you know, area. He's got 15 touchdowns on the season, which puts him on pace for 31 or 32, depending on how you feel about 17 games on the season. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, so a multi-touchdown game for Lamar, um, which, uh, you know, he, he opened on a, on a real tear in terms of scoring multiple touchdowns in the first few games, but then kind of went into like a little drought where, where opponents were holding him to only one. So it's kind of nice to see him back on the multi-touchdown train 
Yeah, absolutely. And and maybe more importantly to be on the non-interception train. Oh God, yes. Because it's he's you know, six interceptions in eight games is not ideal. I'd like that rate to you know to to drop a little bit. He's not he's got one of the higher interception rates in the league, but uh to to get a couple touchdowns uh and and no interceptions that's really what uh, uh what's going to help his passer rating and and also just in general is more effective the, the ravens are are they have such a dominant offense when they're not turning the ball over they are yes. i mean it's just it's an it's a good offense normally even considering everything it's an unbelievably good offense when they're not turning the ball over yeah yeah that exhausts my list ken Let's talk MVPs for this game. Uh, we can start with your number three guy. If you need to think about it, I'll go first. If you want to go right ahead, you go first. Uh, my number three guy is going to be Justice Hill. Okay, fair enough. Uh, certainly had a big game. Uh, we just talked about him, so I don't think we need to go over much of that anymore. My number three is a split. I'm going to get going to split it and give it to Moses and Zeitler, who are the two best offensive linemen in this game. Yeah. Uh, as much as I loved what Hill did, and 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 I'm very tempted based on the on the uh, uh, special teams play he also made. I think that would be reasonable, but uh, but Moses and Zeitler getting it for me. Yeah, I, 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 it's almost entirely the special teams play for me that kicked off the scoring, that uh, kind of rescued a, a failed first drive. Uh, so, so that was the, 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 the difference maker for me. All right, your number two guy, uh, Mr. Lamar Jackson. Oh wow. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna reverse the one and two guys, but I, I definitely had Isaiah Likely as the number two guy. Yeah, lots of positives here, but uh, I could have gone either way on that as well. But t- tell me, tell me. Give me a reason why Lamar is behind likely here. Um, I would say difficulty of situation in terms of a guy stepping up in place of uh, an injured player, assuming a role that he was not expected to assume, and probably a bit of a grade deflation for the MVP who always performs at such a ridiculously high level that uh, anything less than utter perfection is like, oh, he had an off game. So I'm, I'm probably devaluing Lamar a little bit, putting him down at number two. Uh, but I was just so impressed with what likely does, did. And, uh, you know, somebody other than Lamar should be the most valuable every once in a while. Yeah, maybe that's fair. And, and we just uh, leave it at that then. I was I'm very happy with likely and bonus points for, for making sure that the uh, Onside kick was secured properly. It looked like it actually was a little bit behind him when he when he recovered the ball. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm remembering it like inverted in my head in terms of of, of video. I feel like the last bounce was a maybe you know footballs take that weird funny bounce. I think the last bounce was about a foot and a half off from where he expected it to be. So he had initiated his belly flop onto it and had to redirect his hands at the last instant to snag the ball. It wasn't really in doubt, but there was just a little bit of interest in that final moment of that recovery. All right. Jim, always a pleasure to have you on. Unfortunately, we're not going to have time for the mailbag this week, but uh, just a complete pleasure to talk football with you whenever we get together. And uh, uh hope you're still going to be able to make it over to watch football at my house next week. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Wouldn't right. miss it. All right. Looking forward to that and getting together with some of the some of the local writers and whatnot about that. Uh, other folks out there, uh, uh, one more time at zip Jim at zip underscore Jim. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Or just, you know, just, just look in your likes on Twitter for, for most of the things that you post. And I'm also on the RSR front page on probably on Wednesdays of uh, the weeks we've had a game. All right. 
want to thank our sponsor again, uh, Liquid Death, the water that will murder your thirst. Not sure if I got that at the beginning. Want to make sure it's there for for the end. Please give their product a try. They they treat us right here, and uh, and we're happy about that. Uh, otherwise, uh, Jim, I'll see you soon. Ken, thank you so much again for having me. It's always a, always a thrill for me to be with you. All right. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.